Good afternoon. Uh, join me in prayer again before we get started. Um, Lord, we, we thank you so much, God, that you have blessed us with this day, that we can come together and sing your word. Yeah, that we can come together and reflect on uh, the past year of just blessings and sorrows together. And uh, Lord, we pray that right now that as we open up your word, God, that you would teach us. And we pray that you would, Holy Spirit, give us understanding that you convict us and that you would encourage us and, God, that you would help us to take any truths that are from you and apply them to our lives and to, to live in light of, of these truths. And I pray for me right now that you would give me the words to be able to speak, that you would speak, Lord, and that we want to hear from you and not from me. We, we pray that you would speak. And we ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, this is our last Sunday in 2019, and maybe some of us have been reflecting over this past year, and we can see a clear picture of how God has produced fruit through us, and how He has blessed us in different ways. And maybe some of us look back over the past year, or maybe even refuse to look back over the past year, because of the grief and sorrow that we experience when we remember different events and different struggles that took place over this year of 2019. You know, maybe some of us are ending the year right now going through a time of suffering that seems like there's, there's no end in sight. And I just want us all to ask ourselves how we have responded when experiencing suffering or how we are responding right now with the struggles that we're faced with. You know, I believe that if we're honest, or at least if I'm honest, then I'm often really good at hiding the suffering that I'm experiencing. I'm really good at, at hiding the inner turmoil that I'm struggling with. And it's wise not to just, just spill out all of our struggles to everyone. And you don't want to go to Kroger and, and talk to the, the cashier at the register and just spill out everything to that person. You don't want to spill out everything to your boss. But when we come to church or we meet over coffee, then it can be easy to respond to the question of a close brother or sister in Christ that's sitting across the table from us who asks, how, how are you doing? And we respond by saying, I'm doing well, I'm doing okay. Everything's good when really we're not doing so well. You know, even worse, we can be guilty of doing this when we approach God. We suppress our struggles and how we feel before the one whom nothing can be hidden from, the one in, in whom we should be bringing everything to. And why is this? There could be many different reasons, but I know that sometimes we believe the lie that sadness, sorrow, and grief have no place in the Christian life. That when we experience them, then, then they are only a sign that we are weak and not trusting in the Lord enough. And then we try to quickly put these feelings behind us, just forget them, and move on because we view them as negative and sinful responses. And so we attempt to suppress how we feel rather than bring it to the Lord. And if this describes how some of us respond, then we're forgetting that God, He's created us in His image, and even Jesus is described as one who is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. 
Jesus also, He does not suppress His grief or His sorrow that He experiences, but He weeps when His friend Lazarus dies. You know, when He's in the Garden of Gethsemane and praying to the Father, He's weeping over what He's about to endure on the cross for us, where He's about to take on our sin and the wrath that we deserve. You know, Matthew gives an account of Jesus saying, My soul is sorrowful even to death. And so there is a place for grief, sorrow, and sadness in the Christian life. And we experience them because they are often right responses caused by sin being present in the world that we live in. You know, like when we lose a loved one, or when things at work aren't going so well, when there's conflict, when our boss doesn't like us, or when other employees don't like us, or when our workers could care less for us. If someone we trust lies to us or they sin against us in some other way. You know, when we, when we see or hear about injustices like racial injustice or, or babies' lives being taken through abortion every day or, or when you struggle with depression or sickness that brings about pain in your life or in the life that someone you love, then understand that grief, sorrow, and sadness, they're often right responses because things are not as they should be. And so we shouldn't just suppress grief and sorrow and move on too quickly. We should bring this to the Lord. But we should also understand that we're not sinless and perfect like Jesus. That means that there is a right way and a wrong way to bring our grief and sorrow to the Lord. And this is where lament comes in, which is the, the title of our sermon today, The Grace of Lament. And rather than ignoring the grief and the sorrow that we are experiencing and suppressing how we feel, instead, God has given us this wonderful gift of lament to be able to voice our sorrow and our struggles and our sadness and our grief as we suffer to Him. You know, as God's people, and God's people all throughout the Scriptures, they utilize this gift. I mean, you can even see just in the book of, of, of Psalms alone, a third of the Psalms are lament psalms. And so this is very important. And so if it's so important, then what is lament? Well, biblical lament is defined by the author and Pastor Mark Vrogop as more than sorrow or talking about sadness. It's more than walking through the stages of grief. Lament is prayer and pain that leads to trust. And the same author writes, Lament is an honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with a paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. Lament is how you live between the poles of a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty. Lament is rooted in what we believe. It's a prayer loaded with theology. The Christians, we, aff we affirm that the world is broken. God is powerful and He will be faithful. Therefore, lament stands in the gap between pain and promise. To cry is human, but to lament is Christian. And so if lament is so important, if it is one of the means that God has given us to live between the poles of a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty and, and His goodness and His promises, then how do we put this into practice? How do we lament in difficult times of suffering? Well, the process of a lament, it usually includes at least four components. And these can be found on the little slip of paper that you have in your bulletin. If, if you haven't already found it, you can take a look at it. Uh, these, these include, or lament includes, one, turn, two, biblical complaint, ask, and then trust. And so we turn to Him. We turn to Him in our prayer as we're suffering and we're experiencing sorrow and grief. 
And then, biblical complaint, we voice our struggles to Him in an honest and biblical manner. Then ask, we make our request boldly according to the will of God. And then all these lead to the end goal, which is trust, to reaffirm your trust in Him and in His promises. In the Scriptures, lament usually includes these four components or steps. And I don't necessarily like using the word steps because these sometimes overlap as we're lamenting. And also, I don't want to make this sound like uh, a self-help book because you know, as we practice lament, we still may feel the same emotions, still struggle with the same thoughts, and still ask the same difficult questions. But this is a means that God has given us to move from just passively feeling hopeless to actively renewing our hope in Him and in His promises, even if our circumstances don't change, and even if the way that we feel does not change. You know, it's a path from sorrow to praising Him in our sorrows. And we'll focus on these a little bit more in depth as we see an example of this in our passage today. And so please, if you can't take your Bibles, if you, already, if you haven't already, turn to Psalm uh, 13, which is where uh, we'll see the psalmist flesh out for us what lament looks like. And as you turn there, Psalm 13, I just, I just want to give us a little context of this psalm. You know, for most psalms, there is a title and an author that is mentioned in the beginning. And this is part of the original text. And it's important because it helps us to know who wrote them. And for many of them, what is happening when they're being written. And we know that this is a psalm of David. He titled it, How Long, O Lord? But we don't know exactly what's happening in David's life at the time that he wrote this. There's some people who speculate. You know, he could have been being pursued by an enemy. He could be uh, suffering from some kind of physical illness. We don't know for sure. However, we do know, even just by looking at the title, that he is experiencing a difficult time in his life. He's going through a pretty tough period of suffering in his life. So let's take our Bibles and read Psalm 13. And as we work through this together, we will see how God has provided a means for us to move from sorrow to praising Him in our sorrows through lament, which is our main point for today. To move from sorrow to praising Him in our sorrows through lament. And so Psalm 13, starting in verse 1. David writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. And so the first step in lamenting is to turn. We turn to Him in prayer. You know, the fact that this psalm, this psalm of David, Psalm 13 exists, along with all the other lament psalms of His that we have in our Bible, shows us that David, as he suffered, he took the difficult step of turning to the Lord in prayer and lament. There's either one of two different ways that we can respond as Christians when we're experiencing suffering. 
You know, we can either, one, give God the silent treatment. You know, we can choose not to turn to God in prayer you know, out of frustration or anger or disappointment or for some other reason. You know, one pastor put it this way. He wrote, Prayerful lament is better than silence. However, I found that many people are afraid of lament. They find it too honest, too open, or too risky. But there's something far worse. Silent despair. Giving God the silent treatment is the ultimate manifestation of unbelief. Despair lives under the hopeless resignation that God doesn't care. He doesn't hear. And nothing is ever going to change. If people who believe this stop praying, they give up. You know, and if, if this describes one of us, if this is where one of us are currently at within our suffering, if you've gotten to the point where you've stopped praying, then I hope that you'd be encouraged to turn to Him in prayer, which is the other option. We turn to Him in faith through prayer, through lament. And this is the first step in the process of moving from sorrow to praising Him in our sorrows. No matter how badly we, we have struggled and how many times we have turned to Him in our prayer with nothing changing, we must keep turning. If David would have already have decided that he believed the lies, that God had forgotten him, that, that God didn't care, that he had, he, He's not with him, then he wouldn't have turned. So even though he seems hopeless, there's still hope there. So the first step in the process of lament is to turn. And as we turn, then we offer up our biblical complaint to Him, which is the second step or component of lament that you see in your bulletins. So biblically complain. This is where we voice our struggles and questions to the Lord in an honest and biblical way. You know, David, he cries out in verses 1 and 2, How long, O Lord, will You forget me forever? How long will You hide Your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? and have sorrow in my heart all the day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? And so he asked these four honest, how long questions that reveal some of the inner turmoil that he's struggling with as he's going through this difficult period in his life. And David asked, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? This probably isn't David's first day of struggling. Yeah, David has been, likely been struggling for a long period of time at this point. He's been crying out to the Lord for deliverance, but God remains silent. It seems as if God is distant and that He will remain silent forever as David suffers. And to endure suffering for weeks and months and years, crying out to the Lord for deliverance while, while feeling like your prayers are falling on deaf ears, it can be very difficult. Now, it could... It could begin to feel like you're in a soundproof room, you're screaming to the top of your lungs with no one hearing your voice. And so David seems hopeless at this moment in the psalm. You know, there's something different about my son's level of confidence when I ask him to walk into our dark basement when I'm by his side versus when I ask him to walk down there by himself. You know, if he goes by himself, He's a little more hesitant, if he goes at all. You know, he can be fearful, scared. His, his confidence level drops pretty tremendously versus when I'm with him. You know, I'm not saying that God is not with David or us when we're walking in the darkness of suffering. He never leaves his people. But when we walk in the darkness for a long period of time, then there are times when we struggle with feeling like 
God is not walking with us. And our confidence level changes and our hope wavers. David, he also cries out, How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? There's a point when we have suffered for so long that we can be tempted to look inward rather than look to Christ. We can begin to to think wrong thoughts about God and our circumstances and and who we are. Rather than being reminded of the truth of who God is and the promises that He has made to us, we begin to believe what we feel. And maybe David is struggling with the thoughts about God's faithfulness and whether he will be vindicated or rescued or healed by God. And this causes great sorrow within David. Now, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? And the last complaint that he voices to the Lord is, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? You know, will God defeat his enemy, whether it be death or someone who is in pursuit of him trying to kill him? Will this enemy come out on top as God seems to be remaining silent? You know, these honest questions reveal how David is living between the two poles, right? One being the suffering caused by an enemy that seems to have the upper hand, which comes with all the struggles and the doubts and the questions, and the pole on the other end of trusting that God is good, He's in control, He's sovereign, and He fulfills His promises to His people. And David, he doesn't put on some kind of a facade before the Lord and pretend like he's not struggling. He doesn't give the Lord the silent treatment. He brings his complaints to the Lord. He voices his struggles and questions to the Lord. And there are numerous other examples of biblical complaint where psalmists voice their struggles to the Lord. Just listen to a few from the book of Psalms. Psalm 10, 1. You know, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 88.14, O Lord, why do you, you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Psalm 74.10, How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Or Psalm 94.3, O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? You know, most of us have been there at some point. And maybe some of us are there right now and you're experiencing sorrow and grief trying to suppress how you are feeling while struggling with the similar why, how, when, where type questions that are very difficult. And maybe this has led to bitterness or anger or frustration, giving God the silent treatment. And we need to be reminded that God has given us these examples of lament within the Scriptures for a reason. Rather than pushing off and suppressing these difficult struggles, we voice our biblical complaints to the Lord. Knowing that bringing our struggles before the Lord, it's not sinful or a sign of weakness. I mean, to be honest, we are all weak. All of us. And and turning to Him is, is not a sign of weakness. It's an act of faith, revealing where our strength lies as believers. It's in Him. But we also have to remember that we're not perfect like Jesus who responded perfectly in every situation. And so even though it's not sinful to experience certain emotions and to bring our struggles before the Lord through biblical complaint and the process of lament, that there are wrong or sinful ways that we can do this. Bringing our struggles before Him doesn't mean that we aimlessly complain or in a a prideful or irreverent kind of way. Stacy Gladys Smith writes, 
A lament honestly and specifically names a situation or a circumstance that is painful, wrong, or unjust. In other words, a circumstance that does not align with God's character and therefore does not make sense within God's kingdom. You know, one good way to do this is to, to bring our difficult questions before the Lord and to argue the promises of God and what the Bible says about His character in our complaint. This, this may look like when we, we or a close family member or a friend is struggling with some kind of illness. Maybe they're not a believer. And we do not see how God is or He will take their suffering and work it out for our good and for His glory. We bring our biblical complaint to the Lord and say, Lord, how long will You remain silent? Your Word says that You work out all things for those who love You and live according to Your purpose. I do not understand how this is being worked to that end. Or when you're struggling with, with God feeling distant in your suffering, we bring our biblical complaint to Him and pray, Lord, you know, I know that Your Word says that You are near to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. But today, it seems as if You are far off and silent. Or when we struggle with injustices that we see every day, you know, babies being aborted or, or instances of racism that we see or we hear about, we cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I know that You are perfectly just, but I am struggling with why Your justice is not being carried out now within this situation at this time. And notice that even in bringing our complaints, we're often speaking and arguing the truth, which God is already using to begin to renew our minds. But lament does not end at biblical complaint. You know, one author, he writes, in the same way a surgeon's cut is meant to heal, so complaint is designed to move us along in our lament. You're not meant to linger in complaint. If you never move beyond complaint, lament loses its purpose and its power. Complaint is, is central to lament, but Christians never complain just to complain. Instead, we bring our complaints to the Lord for the purpose of moving us toward Him. And so biblical complaint is just a step in the process of lament that God uses to redirect us, to reorient our hearts to what is true about our circumstances, to who God is and who we are in Him as we struggle with these difficult questions in the inner turmoil like David did, to move us from sorrow to praising Him in our sorrows. And so we bring our biblical complaints to God as David did, and then we see the next step in the process of lament, which is to ask. We make our request boldly according to the will of God. David begins to do this in verses 3-4. through four. He writes, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. You know, when David cries out, consider and answer me, he's using repetition to emphasize his desire for God to hear him. He feels like God has forgotten him and, and he's not being heard because of the way that things are playing out. But he cries out and requests that God would hear his prayers. You know, listen to the other request that David makes after he, he makes this request for God to consider and answer him. He desires that God would light up his eyes, or, or another way to put this is to enlighten his eyes. You know, as he lives between these two poles of suffering and trusting, he's struggling with seeing things as they really are. He's struggling with seeing God as He should be seen, and, and he's struggling with seeing who He is in His covenant relationship with God. His vision is becoming cloudy and it's becoming darkened. 
And so he asked that God would enlighten his eyes. He needs to see things from God's perspective. If God does not deliver David, then David says he will sleep the sleep of death or his enemies will bring an end to his life. If God does not answer, then his enemies will be able to boast, to rejoice over his defeat and their victory. You know, isn't it true that even though when we experience emotions that reflect the emotions of God, that they're far from perfect? And as we struggle with neglecting to bring our struggles before Him, or as we take counsel within our own souls by looking inward rather than looking to Christ, our vision can easily become dark and cloudy. We begin to create our own realities of how things are playing out as we suffer rather than seeing God in ourselves and our circumstances as they should be seen. We can believe that God is distant and that He has forgotten us in our suffering when He's really not. And so lament is one of the means that God has given us to, to turn to Him, to bring our biblical complaints, ask for deliverance, but then we see the ultimate goal of lament, which is the ultimate end, which all these are leading to, is to trust, to reaffirm our trust in Him and in His promises. Now, there's a big shift that takes place in verse 5 that starts with the word but. You know, David has, has, has turned to the Lord with his complaints and he's asked boldly for deliverance from his suffering. And then he writes, But I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. You know, David makes these statements of trust that are rooted in the character of who God is and what He has promised to His people. No matter how difficult His circumstances were, and despite the doubts and the questions and the feelings that He is struggling with, David reaffirmed His trust in the Lord in three different ways. First, he declares that he has trusted in the steadfast love of the Lord. And so David, he reminds himself of God's steadfast love within his own life. Now, God has a perfect record of faithfulness toward His people. Maybe he remembered the steadfast love of God towards those who had gone before him. You know, if you're a Christian here today, then understand that you have a record of God's steadfast love within your own life. There are times where he was faithful even when we were not. There are times where we were in situations where things seemed hopeless and he enabled us to be able to endure through those situations. And so he trusted in the steadfast love of the Lord. And the second declaration that David makes in verse 5 is that his heart shall rejoice in the salvation of the Lord. He reaffirms his trust in God's plan of redemption. Now, God rescues His people time and time again throughout the Old Testament from their enemies. And even more importantly, God is working out His overarching plan of redemption all throughout the Old Testament, leading up to when He sends Jesus to lay down His life to save His people once and for all. And if suffering enters our lives as believers, it does not mean that He has rejected us or He has forgotten us. You know, God, He often uses suffering of His people to bring about the salvation of His people. And we cannot forget that God is always bringing about the plan of His redemption even when we cannot fully see it. So David, he doubted and he questioned, but he chose to rejoice in the salvation of the Lord. And think about this we have an even clearer picture of God's plan of redemption than David did. We have an account of Jesus, His life, His ministry, His death, His resurrection. We have an account of Jesus giving the ultimate cry of lament 
from the cross where he he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which led to him finishing his work on the cross to bring about salvation. And so David, he reaffirms his trust in God's plan of redemption. And then lastly, David, he makes this final statement of trust in verse 6 as he says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You know, this psalm of lament has moved from David turning to God in sorrow, bringing his honest biblical complaints before God, asking for God's deliverance, to now praising God in his sorrows. God has used David's lament to reorient his heart, which has led to him praising God. And this is the intended trajectory of lament. God uses lament to move us from experiencing sorrow to praising Him in our sorrows. And does does this mean that when we practice lament that all of our sorrows and all of our grief will disappear? Will all of our questions be answered? And all of our struggles, will they just go away? Will God take away our suffering if we practice this? He could, and it's possible. But this is not the way that it usually happens all of a sudden. I don't believe that this is what happened with David as he chooses to reaffirm his trust in the ways that he did and he chooses to praise the Lord. And even if God did do this at this moment, then we know that David practiced lament often because many of the lament psalms are written by him. And so lament is not just something that we practice once and then we're all good. It's something that we practice often. We may still struggle with all these things, but lament is a way that we're actively patient as we wait for the Lord. And it's how we actively trust God as we suffer. And so we've seen what the basic steps or the the process of lament is through David's example. And I know that even though this process seems pretty simple, you know, you turn... Uh, you biblically, biblically complain, you ask, and then you trust. That's a lot easier said than done when you're in a moment of suffering. And if you're like me, then when I'm, I'm suffering and walking through a period of darkness, then I know this process. But I struggle with carrying it out because I just can't find the strength or, or the words to describe the suffering that I'm going through. Well, I just want to offer some practical helps that I hope will be at least better equip us to be able to put this into practice. And I just have four practical points for us today. And at first, I want to encourage us that if we're struggling, or even if we're not struggling right now, to read through the different examples of lament found within the Scriptures. You know, read Lamentations, read Job and, and his process of lament, that, he, that example for us within the book of Job. Especially read the Psalms of Lament. You know, I've included many of uh, the individual Psalms of Lament on the back of that slip of paper that has the outline on it. So maybe you can read through some of those. Or if you're struggling, go through. And, and it's helpful. The, the psalmists like David often give us words to help us verbalize what we're struggling through as we bring our biblical complaints to the Lord or make specific requests. Or maybe they're examples of how they reaffirm their trust like David did that are helpful reminders for us how to do the same. And so immerse yourself in, 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 exam, in, in reading about examples of lament all throughout the Scriptures, especially the Psalms. And secondly, I want to encourage us to listen to songs. 
You know, and not just the ones that we sing when we're on the mountaintop. You know, listen to songs of lament. Not just worship songs which, which only express joy and are uplifting, that they have their place. But lament songs also have their place in the life of a believer that gives, in a way that it gives voice to our sorrows and our grief as we approach the Lord. You know, Keith Getty wrote, Unfortunately, our lyrics often soar so high that someone who is drowning on the ocean floor of their personal despair can't reach them. And so we need to listen to songs of lament. Which I'll be honest, I found it kind of difficult to find good songs, like good songs of lament where, where artists have, have taken the psalms of lament and put music to it, or, or even just songs that are songs of lament in which they sing truths from Scripture. It's difficult to find that. But I've included that on the, uh, the ones that I've found helpful on that sheet of paper as well. Ones that I've gone back to over and over who have helped describe my suffering through the words that they use in a way that I could not, and who have also helped remind me to reaffirm my trust in the Lord, despite how I may be feeling. Thirdly, I want to encourage us as a body that as we're counseling one another, you know, by stepping into each other's suffering, that of course we want to use the Bible to counsel one another. You know, I'm a firm believer in biblical counseling. But there are times where we will not have all of the answers to the specific details behind why our brother or sister in Christ is going through the specific time of suffering that they're going through. We have Sometimes we don't have the answers to, to what the outcome will be in this life. And that's okay. The psalmist give testimony to this. But also realize that we can practice lament with one another during these times. There are actually not just individual psalms of lament, but there are also corporate ones. And so there are times where Israel, Israel, they would come together and they would lament during times of suffering as a nation. And so when our brother or sister does not have the strength to pray, then lament with them. God uses the words spoken by others to bring encouragement, to restore hope, and to help others reaffirm their trust when they're suffering. And the lament is a way that we can do that as we walk alongside our brothers and sisters who are suffering. And lastly, lament is given by God to His people to move from sorrow to praising Him in our sorrows as we suffer, you know, to reaffirm our trust and to restore our hope. But if you're here today and you have not initially turned to Christ for salvation, then understand that your sin separates you from God. He's perfect and He is holy. You're deserving of His wrath and His punishment and have no hope apart from Christ. But God, He didn't just leave us in our sin, which is the good news. He's dealt justly with our sin and He's extended mercy to us by sending Jesus to live a perfect and holy life that we could not live. And then He willingly went to the cross he took our sins in His body and He offered up His body on the cross and shed His blood to pay the penalty for our sins. And He died. He rose again conquering sin and death. And all you have to do is see your sin for what it is, turn from it, and receive Jesus by faith. You know, and the elders or Pastor Andy or myself, I'd love to talk to you more about that. And so as we conclude, I hope that you were encouraged today to lament in times of suffering not just to suppress how you are feeling, to suppress the struggles and the doubts, 
and the discouragements that you're experiencing in your suffering. And if anything, I hope that you're better equipped to do that. That it sparks some kind of interest to be able to, to study lament in the Scriptures and to be able to understand that lament is one of the ways that, as John Piper said, to keep trusting in the One who keeps you trusting as we wait for Him to make all things right again. So let's pray. Uh, God, we come before You in the name of Jesus. And um, God, there could be some of us here who are suffering. We're struggling and we have questions and we, we have doubts and we have uh, frustrations and we, God, we don't have all the answers. Uh, and it's difficult. Sometimes you seem far off when you're really not. We feel that way. But, God, we ask that you would be with those who are struggling with that right now. That you would, you would uh, strengthen them. That you'd help them to endure. That you'd help them to trust. God, that, that You'd help them to help us to renew our trust in You and who You are and, and Your promises and, and the difficult circumstances that we're facing. God, that You would use the, this gift of lament that You've given us to be able to, to move from just sitting in our sorrows passively to actively trusting in You and actively waiting on You to praising You in our sorrows. Lord, we ask that in Your name, Jesus. Amen.